0: What's the best gift you've ever received? I don't know if this is my definitive best, but right up there has got to be Big Blackie. It was a gift I received for my fourth birthday, and despite my dad's thorough search, we couldn't find a photo for today. So you have to imagine just how amazing Big Blackie was. As per the name, Big Blackie was big and black, and a robot. Uh, if my, my memory's right, uh, Big Blackie had wheels on his feet, and for at least a couple of weeks, uh, when you turned him on, he'd roll out along the floor. As a four-year-old, I loved Big Blackie, uh, though I have to admit he probably now resides many feet under a rubbish tip somewhere. Uh, what makes a gift really good Maybe it's the person who gave it to you. Maybe it's the anticipation, something you've wanted for a long time. Maybe it's the benefit you get from the gift. It's useful or it makes you happy. What's the best gift you've ever received? In Acts, we hear about some astounding gifts. They're astounding because of who gave it. They're astounding because of how long it's been waited for. They're astounding because of how beneficial they are. Uh, If you look at Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Today we're going to be digging into Acts 2 and these promised gifts from God. Uh, The event recorded in Acts 2 raises lots of questions about baptism and tongues. We are not going to get into all those questions today, uh, partly because of time, but mainly because I'm convinced they are not the main point of the passage. The main point of the passage is about Jesus and the Spirit and the best gift – God offers. But we are going to be starting Bible studies this week and it'll be next week's Bible study where we can spend some time chatting about that together and all those questions we might have. But for today, let's get into Acts chapter 2. Verse 1 tells us when the event that we're going to read about happened. So verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Uh, Now for Christians, the word word Pentecost makes us think about Acts chapter 2 and the events that took place on that day, but that's not what the word means. Uh, Pentecost is the word given to a Jewish harvest festival. Uh, The word Pentecost comes from the Greek word that means 50. Uh, You might remember from primary school the Pentagon. That's a shape with Five sides. So Pentecost is to do with the number five or actually the number 50. Uh, Pentecost is the festival held 50 days after the beginning of the harvest. Uh, We're told this in Leviticus 23. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Pentecost is a celebration, thanking God for his provision. Uh, after you've harvested all your grain, it's safely stored in the barns, you go to Jerusalem and feast and enjoy God's provision. Uh, during the time around Jesus, it seems this festival, instead of happening 50 days after you first start the harvest, which might be different depending on the seasons, in those days it was held 50 days about, about 50 days after Passover. Uh, this is significant for us. Because Jesus was crucified at Passover. So it's about 50 days since the crucifixion of Jesus. It's about 10 days since Jesus' ascension. So it's Pentecost, which means Jews from all over Judea, actually from wherever they lived, from the Middle East or Asia, Africa, around the Mediterranean, they're all coming to Jerusalem to celebrate. But this Pentecost, this Pentecost would become a celebration like no other. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's an amazing event happening. Now why the wind and the fire? We're not told. But it screams of how the Old Testament talks about God's presence. Wind and spirit, wind and spirit are actually the same word in Hebrew and in Greek. And sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament, you're not quite sure, should we, does this refer to a spirit or does this refer to a wind? So the sound of wind Brings that into your mind and suddenly you're thinking about the Spirit of God. And fire, well think about how God appeared to Moses in the bush that was burning that but wasn't burnt up. Wind and fire means God is present. And they start speaking in different languages. Why is this? Well the response of the crowd Tells us, verse 5, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, Residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Uh, why do they speak in different languages? It's because there are people there from all over the world. Now, all of these people are Jews, some, though some are converts to Judaism, but regardless, everyone there spoke Hebrew or Aramaic, so why did God's presence come and all of a sudden they speak different language, like Phrygianese, Well, Acts 1.8 says the apostles will witness to the ends of the earth. Speaking in unknown foreign languages is a hint to God's multi-ethnic mission. It's a hint that one day people from all over the world, Jew and Gentile, would hear the gospel and be saved. Also, they're speaking in different languages, because it's a miracle. Uh, The people who are speaking are all Galilean. They didn't naturally speak these languages. None of them naturally knew the language of Egypt. But they start speaking these languages and the crowd know this. Maybe it's because they speak Egyptian with a slightly Galilean accent or something, but either way, they know that something amazing is going on. It's an obvious sign, a display of God's power. It gets the crowd's attention. And the crowd asks the right question. In fact, on this day, the crowd seems to always ask the right question. Their first question is, what does this mean? Well, Peter gets up to answer, This same Peter who, not even two months ago, denied even knowing Jesus, Peter gets up and says, What you're hearing with your own ears is proof the last days, the days of the Spirit have arrived. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Remember what Pentecost is about? It's a celebration of God's provision. What Peter's saying as he quotes the prophet Joel, he's saying something even better than full barns is here. Today is the day God promised hundreds of years ago. God's promises are being fulfilled right before your eyes. Peter's saying God's spirit has been poured out and we know this is true Because these bunch of Galileans, men and women, are prophesying. Prophecy doesn't mean predicting the future. It's not primarily foretelling, but forth-telling. Not foretelling, but forth-telling. It's doing what verse 11 says they were doing. Speaking about the amazing things God has done. Do you see this? The disciples speak in different languages. They speak in tongues. But Peter, the part of the Old Testament he goes to explain what's going on is the prophet Joel, which doesn't mention tongues, but it does talk about prophecy. The point seems to be tongues are related to prophecy, at least in Acts 2. Tongues are a kind, a form of prophecy. That's what they're doing that day. They're doing what the prophet Joel said would happen. So let's zoom in a bit on what Joel said. Joel's prophecy talks about the last days. And that's what Peter's saying. The last days have arrived. The Bible does not say the last days are about Russia or China or COVID. The last days is the times we've been in for 2000 years the time when the Holy Spirit is poured out and all God's people prophesy, we speak about what God has done in Jesus. What are the signs and wonders it talks about in verses 19 and 20? Wonders in the heavens, signs on the earth, the moon turned to blood. I think the signs on earth is what's happening at Pentecost. Galileans speaking about Jesus in different languages. It may also refer to the, the miracles Jesus did on earth, but I wonder whether Peter's take, making, wanting them to think about what they'd seen that day. Uh, the wonders in the heavens could either refer to the sky going dark when Jesus was crucified or Jesus ascending as the disciples saw, or once again, maybe both. But friends, brothers and sisters, the big point is, what the crowd is seeing and hearing is the fulfilment of God's promise through Joel. And that means, verse 21, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. This is the big point. The main thing isn't that God sent his spirit to enable people to speak different languages. That's not the main thing. Tongues are a sign, a sign that the spirit's been poured out, a sign that we're in the last days. But the reality the sign is pointing to is salvation is freely available to anyone who calls upon Jesus. Salvation is freely available to anyone who calls out to Jesus. That is huge. That's what Peter's saying. That's Peter's interpretation, the Holy Spirit's interpretation of Joel chapter 2, the promise of Joel. But why? And why now? Why is it that this day of Pentecost is the day for God to pour out his Spirit. They've been waiting for hundreds of years. Why that day? What's happened to trigger the beginning of the last days? Well, what's happened is that Jesus has died, has risen again, and has ascended to rule and reign. And that's where Peter goes in the second part of his message. Verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus' last words to his disciples is this, his apostles is this, Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Peter is just doing what he's been told. He's being a witness, telling the crowd things he'd seen with his own eyes. Actually, the crowd were witnesses to some of these things too. Some would have seen Jesus' miracles. Some would have been there when he was crucified and maybe they'd even heard rumours of this resurrection. What Peter's saying is, what you've seen today, the pouring out of God's spirit, shows Jesus' death was not a failure. It wasn't a victory for the religious leaders. Jesus' death was the plan of God. Yes, it was evil, deeply wicked to kill Jesus. But it was also God's plan to save everyone who calls on his name. And because it was God's plan, Jesus is alive just as God promised in the scriptures. Verse 25, David said about him, said about Jesus, I saw The Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. This is a quote from Psalm 16, which David wrote about a thousand years before Jesus. It's a strange psalm. How can David say, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead? How can he say, you won't let me see decay because David's body has definitely decayed. So David must be speaking not about himself, which would make the most sense when you first read the psalm, but can't be about himself, so he must be speaking about the Messiah, about the one we know to be Jesus. Verse 29, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Everyone knows David is dead. Anyone can go and find his tomb. But what about Jesus? And remember, Peter is saying this Only 50 days after the crucifixion. If, if Jesus' body was in a tomb, it wouldn't be too hard to go and find it. But it's not, because verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. What has occurred? Why is there people speaking in different languages on this Pentecost? Because the one they crucified is alive and he is ascended to God's right hand. Some people talk about a right-hand man. It means someone you can rely upon. Sitting at God's right hand is like that but more. It's not just saying that Jesus is a faithful helper But sitting at the right hand of a king or of God means ruling and reigning with him. It's saying Jesus shares God's authority, which would sound blasphemous to Jewish ears were it not for David saying the same kind of things in Psalm 110. So have a listen from verse 34. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, your enemies, a footstool for your feet. That psalm might sound familiar. It's one of the psalms Jesus quotes when he's in the temple and shows the Pharisees and the Sadducees how much they do not understand the scriptures. Here Peter takes the same passage and once again the point is, same point that Jesus makes, David can't be speaking about himself. He's six feet under, his body has decayed. As David was writing this psalm a thousand years ago, he must be speaking of one who is to come. He must be speaking of the Messiah. He's speaking about Jesus who has risen and is ascended to God's right hand and will rule until all his enemies are defeated. And what they've seen that day, the pouring out of the Spirit is proof that Jesus is ascended. Peter gives this amazing speech. He's bold, isn't he? He is so changed by the presence of the Spirit. That's, I reckon, in itself. Even if he wasn't speaking in different languages, that would be proof that Jesus has done something amazing. And in verse 36, he summarises and brings home the point of what has happened that day. Verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You killed God's King. You killed the one who is now reigning at God's right hand. You killed the Lord, which I think is Peter claiming Jesus is truly God. And this is a big problem. Because you, the crowd, killed him. And the crowd put two and two together and very quickly arrive at four. They put together the things they've seen, a miraculous proclamation of the wonders of God. Galileans are prophesying. And this can only mean the last days are here. Joel 2 has happened. The Spirit has been poured out. And this can only mean the promised Messiah has come and he's ascended and he's now ruling and reigning at God's right hand, which means they start to click Jesus, who was executed by them with their approval just over seven weeks ago. All of this adds up to one answer. They have rejected and killed God's king. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is bad news. I reckon pretty often our response to bad news is to stick our heads in the sand. Oh, what do we say? Oh, things will work out. There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. There's an ad on TV, isn't there, for one of the pensioners insurance agencies that says, oh, we know that the, every cloud has a silver lining. I would have thought by the time you're old enough you've learnt that every cloud does not have a silver lining, but we delude ourselves. We go into denial. We make up a story, some other explanation so we can ignore the bad news we've just received. But not this crowd and not on this day. They face the facts and realise they're helpless. I reckon that's amazing. No denial, facing the facts. But what's even more amazing is the answer Peter gives you think that if you'd just killed the one that God has made Lord and Messiah, if you you think that if you'd killed the one that is now alive and reigning at God's right hand, you'd expect the answer to what shall we do would be run and hide or go and gather whatever you've got in your barns because remember it's Pentecost and give it all to him, bribe him, do anything you can because it's about to be disastrous. But in Jesus there's better news. It's not time to run and hide. It's time to run to Jesus and find forgiveness. Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Uh, This is amazingly good. There is mercy, there is forgiveness. God even promises to give his long-awaited best gift, his spirit. God promises all of this to the people who killed the Lord Jesus. If only they would turn to him for salvation. Uh, This is astounding mercy. And in God's kindness, 3,000 people turned to Jesus. 3,000 people were called by God that day. 3,000 people received the best gifts ever. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. On that day. Because Jesus is alive because Jesus has ascended to the place of heavenly honour and power. On that day when the Spirit was poured out and the disciples bore witness to Jesus, on that day the people of God grew 25 times larger, from 120 to about 3,000 who came to accept what God had done in Jesus. And the same offer is available today. Of course, Peter's climactic summary, Jesus whom you crucified, can't be said of us in the same way. It's not literally true that you or I crucified Jesus. We weren't there crying out, crucify. But the song rightly says, it was my sin that held him there. When we turn our back on God, when we ignore or reject him, It's the same posture, the same heart that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was my sin that held him there. In a real sense, it can be said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Messiah. So what must we do? Repent and be baptised. Turn to Jesus. Cry out to him for mercy and forgiveness. And this may be something you've done many years ago. It may be something you have not done yet. The same promise is held out to you today. Call upon Jesus and God will give you his two best gifts, forgiveness and his spirit. A God's spirit who is God's presence with us, who brings God's salvation and empowers us for God's mission. A Pentecost means the days God promised through Joel are here. Do you believe this? Do you know this? If you're trusting in Jesus, God has given his best gifts to you. They're the best gifts because they come from God. They're the best gifts because God's people had waited thousands of years. They're the best gifts because we desperately need God's forgiveness and being forgiven gives real joy and we need the power of the Spirit to be part of God's plan. God's promise isn't just for some sort of special Christians, it's for everyone. God has given us the Spirit so you and I can speak of Jesus. And everyone who calls on his name will be saved. If you're like me and find this something that doesn't come as easily as, it, as as I'd like, as it should, I reckon it means as a start this should drive us to our knees as we thank God for his spirit and beg God for boldness and God's mercy on those who would hear our fumbling and feebling words that he loves to use like he did that day.